Welcome to the Soft Verbal Podcast presented by Dead Soxie. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCready and featuring Zach Barry of Red Cup Rebellion, the Soft Verbal Podcast is your number one podcast dedicated to Ole Miss football and basketball recruiting. Featuring guests from throughout the Rivals.com network, the Soft Verbal Podcast tells you what is happening and what's going to happen on the recruiting trail. And it does it in style, just like Dead Soxie. Visit DeadSoxie.com and enter promo code RebelGrove at checkout for 30% off your order of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. Now... Here's your host, Neil McCready. Welcome into another edition of the Soft Verbal Podcast here in the Clark Ford Studio, presented by Dead Soxie. I'm going to be your host this week. I'm Zach Barry. Neil is not with us, but have no fear. We have an outstanding guest for you. And um, look, if you're looking for a unique way to brand your company swag, uh, Dead Soxie has a special event. So if you um, want to do some custom socks, they do have a custom sock program. Click on the custom socks link and they will walk you through the entire process from the complimentary digital mock-up before your order is placed to delivery logistics and even custom packaging. Dead Soxie is your place to create a gift. They will use time and again, with all-inclusive pricing, no upcharges or fine print, the custom sock design process is as simple as it gets. Head over to deadsoxy.com. That's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com slash custom. Remember, you can still have 30% on general orders with the promo code REBELGROVE. And as always, stay Soxy. Also, I mentioned we are in the Clark Ford studio. For Clark Ford, it's simple. Call Corey Clark, 662-257-1900 over in Amory, Mississippi, Highway 25, and ask for a quote. You'll get it within 15 minutes in business hours, straight to the bottom line. So, without further ado, I mentioned we do have an outstanding guest today in the studio with us, and it is Super Bowl winning quarterback Trent Dilfer of Lipscomb Academy. Trent, how are you? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, Fired this up. is great. Um, so, just first things first. We are here in Nashville, um, so just how are you getting acclimated to the <laughs> South, being from California? Um, I'm loving it, first of all. I, I've lived in a lot of cool places. Um, I'm a California kid, I retired there in the Bay Area, but lived in Baltimore and uh, Seattle, which is a great place. Just recently been in Austin, Texas for a couple of years. Um, Tampa, I mean, some really cool places around the country, and <clears throat> this is without a doubt the best. I think the, the southern hospitality, the people, uh, the sophistication, uh, the food, um, I, pretty much the beauty uh, of Middle Tennessee. Uh, I, I had no idea how pretty it is around here. Uh, my wife's blown away. She's not full-time up here yet, but she's looking for houses. She's blown away by how pretty it is. So. Uh, we've loved uh, my eight months here and the few times my family's come up to visit me. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're obviously here. We're going to talk some quarterbacks. You know a thing or two about that. Um, but first, I, I wanted to ask head coach here at Lipscomb Academy, um, how have things been so far? And uh, I, I guess three games in, uh, looking ahead to the rest of the season. Well, I mean, it's been an incredible journey. And I got here in, in January. They, uh, they'd won three games in three years. Um, it was a broken program. Uh, I don't think football was really uh, important to anybody here. Um, so the culture build has been the most, um, the biggest project. Um, 
and really getting people excited and passionate again about football and invested. Um, to this community's credit, they've bought all, they've fully bought in their, um, the, the excitement's as much as it's ever been. Um, and then the development, you know, developing players just hadn't had <clears throat> top level development from a nutritional standpoint, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, from a football standpoint. So um, bringing in the best in class staff, bringing in best in class resources for them and, and watching them develop has really been one of the thrills of my life. And then off to a solid start, you know, we gave one away in week two, which is disappointing. That's not who we want to be, but uh, had a good, strong week one and week three. So looking to build off of that and and uh, we got a tough part of our schedule coming up so it'll be interesting to see how our boys respond and and the consistency as they grow in consistency and, and endurance and you know it takes a lot of resolve to, to finish the season strong so um, we're looking to harden them up enough so that they can show that resolve as the season goes on so uh, we like to always say People don't have access to, to ESP and eight here, but uh, the, the facilities here are gorgeous. Um, so what so what went into that? I, I mentioned I'd been here a couple years ago, and it looks night and day different. Well, the bones were here, so we have a great stadium. Um, we had we have this indoor that was built uh, a handful of years ago that really wasn't being maximized. So refacing it, repurposing it, <clears throat> maximizing the space in the indoor. Um, and then just making some radical changes, bringing in. We already have a great weight room up on the upper campus, um, but we wanted the best weight room in the country. So Sornex came in and in our field house built us the best weight room in the country. So now we have the best high school weight room in the country, as well as a premier upper school weight room up on campus. <clears throat> Coach's offices in the field house, um, barber shop. I don't know if you got to see that, but we, oh, we have wow. a full barber shop, players lounge. Um, full-time nutritionist, full-time academic coach. Um, so just trying to, again, stack best on best on best on best and see where it takes us. I really believe that if you really say the student-athlete comes first, then you do everything you possibly can to resource the student-athlete. We want to give them every single tool possible um, to be successful, not just in football but in life. And then uh, reward them, too. They work really hard. So that's kind of the barbershop. That's some of the sizzle, some of the fun stuff. Um, is reward the hard work and we are in Nashville and, and we want to be the Music City Mustang so we built a 3,000 square foot sound stage and we have full uh, A-list concerts before our home game show Crow played week one we have Jared Neiman before homecoming um, so trying to just create a vibe here a passion here that's uh, second to none and, and have the very very best in the, in the country not just Middle Tennessee but the very best facilities and resources of anybody in the country and do that and and give them top quality development and, and see where that takes us you guys do straight razor shaves at the barbershop we do everything maybe uh, they're gonna they're gonna cut up my beer nice and tight thursday <laughs> night there you go um so i guess b before we get into talking a lot about why we're here with the elite 11 and your mm -hmm. involvement with that um i guess take us back to to your days in, in high school and, <laughs> and how recruiting was for you um, yeah. I, it's nowhere near the circus it is now. Oh, totally. I mean, night and day. I, you know, I was a four-sport athlete. I was being recruited as a basketball player. I mean, nothing major, but, you know, the the um, WCC schools out west, um, Santa Clara, Gonzaga before they were big time, St. Mary's. Um, you know, I was, a, I was a 
really good basketball player, but probably would have been a sixth or seventh man in college basketball. Um, football was slow. I, you know, I wasn't a very good quarterback. I was a really good athlete playing quarterback. But we ran a version of the wing tee and um, didn't throw it very often. When we did, it wasn't very pretty. Um, and I got recruited because Fresno State, as a quarterback, I was being recruited as an athlete by some of the Pac-12 schools. Uh, tight end, outside linebacker. I'd gone to some summer camps and showed well as an athlete. And, and there was intrigue whether I'd be kind of an outside backer in a 3-4 or a tight end. But I really wanted to play quarterback. And, and um, Fresno State was recruiting a kid named Todd Whitehurst, who played at our rival high school. And he was, they were pretty much locked in on him. So they were coming to watch him play basketball against me in our gym. So this is December of our senior year, not our sophomore year, of our senior year. And I think I, 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 think I went for 44, but I say 40 just to be safe. Um, my mom says 44, but I went for 40, dunked on him a few times, and the offensive coordinator came down after and said, we were here to kind of seal the deal with him, but we want you to take a trip. We love your athleticism. That weekend, I drove to Fresno. I'll never forget, I'm driving from Santa Cruz, California to Fresno, and we're halfway there, and I said, hey, coach, where's Fresno? I mean, I had no idea where I was going. They just wanted me to take a trip because they were interested in me as a quarterback. And I went into Jim Sweeney's office. I said, I'm in. He goes, well, we haven't offered yet. I said, well, I'm in. <laughs> so that's how recruiting went for me. And that, now it's a whole other world. Um, I've gone through it with three daughters, uh, all Division One volleyball players, went through the recruiting process, been around it with the Elite 11. Uh, it still overwhelms me to a certain degree. Um, I don't know how I feel, but I think it's a great opportunity for the kids. I mean, I love the fact that a bunch of kids are getting college paid for. I mean, yeah. just that, that is awesome. Now, the means to which it happens, um, the chaos which is recruiting, I don't know if I can wrap my brain totally around it, but uh, I'm trying to, especially now I'm a high school coach, and I'm trying to get as many of my kids recruited as possible. Yeah. So I don't think you run into many uh, Elite 11 participants that run the wing tee, do you? No. no. Uh, we've had a couple. We, we've uh, had a couple that we um, we just love their uh, we love their physical traits, you know, their competitiveness. Uh, we've learned that it's a real um, deterrent. Not That's the wrong word. It's, it's, uh, it's not beneficial to the kid in their long-term development. There, there's a certain amount of throws that you just have to make between practice and games uh, if you're going to compete um, at, at the college level and if you're going to see the game through a passer's eye. So um, they've been good kids. They've been talented kids. But what happens is because they didn't get those reps when they were in uh, – Bryce Ramsey's a great example. Mm -hmm. who went to Georgia. You know, he just didn't get the reps in high school. So when he went to college, he was always behind the eight ball. Right. Um, he could throw it great, you know, he was big and strong, he was fast. Um, but just seeing the game and playing the game at the speed you need to play it, it takes a certain amount of reps in high school to, to project to having success at the college level. So I guess getting into the Elite 11, um, Ole Miss had a couple guys, we're going to talk about them here in a little bit, but how, how did you get involved with it? Um, what had a great legacy? Bob Johnson, and Andy Bark started this thing 21 years ago, and it was already a really good camp series. It was the best in class camp series. Um, Bob was transitioning out of it, and uh, Andy Bark, <coughs> the owner of Student Sports, who puts on the Elite 11, was looking for kind of take it to the next level. Um, 
and talked to John Gruden and myself. Those are the two people he approached. And um, he, he really liked the fact that I was passionate about this age group, about development. Um, there was the sizzle effect, the ability to get us on TV, uh, the ability to network around the country and get, you know, best-in-class coaches. And uh, I, I just kind of – at the time of my life, I had transitioned out of football and wasn't doing TV and, and needed something – Need my fingers in the game. I had said no to some coaching, some management opportunities because I didn't want to do that to my family. So Elite 11 was perfect because it was kind of like a spring hobby at first. <laughs> and uh, it kept me close to the game, uh, kept me close to coaches, which I really enjoy the coaching fraternity. Um, and then it just kind of became its own beast. Um, you put enough good people around it. You put enough thought leaders around it. You, uh, you know, you get the right people doing the right things, and uh, all of a sudden, it just became this giant monster. The TV show has been successful, um, but I think more successful than that's been kind of the the culture of Elite Eleven and, and what we've been able to do, where we use this what we call a competition, half camp, half competition season, to also kind of introduce a lot of holistic development principles. So. Um, if you just want to simplify it, it's probably leadership development through the quarterback position. Um, but there's a lot of touch points. And uh, I think our alums that come back and, and still engage with us to this day, they, they remember as much about how much they grew as people as they grew as quarterbacks. And, and now we're far enough in this thing that, you know, we have guys that are, you know, in politics and coaching, um, playing. A lot of them, I think we, had 50, we have 56 on NFL rosters right now. Um, so they're just they're, they're they're having an impact in the world, and I think that's the thing that um, all of us sit back and are probably most proud of. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little more in depth in terms of Ole Miss here because we have kind of the present and the future. Yeah. Um, you worked with Matt Corral yeah. and uh, Robbie Ashford. We'll go with Robbie first uh, since he's most recent. Um, unfortunately, had an injury last week. Yeah. Uh, I don't. For now, you know, knock on wood, I don't think it's too serious. He, he seemed optimistic in the post-game interviews. But just what was your take on him um, in the competition and how you think he'll do in the future? Well, I was super impressed with him. I got to see him at the Nashville Regional. Um, the thing that jumps out, um, obviously, is his frame. You know, he's, he's, got a, he's got an NFL frame on him already as a high school player. Uh, Thick-jointed, um, you know, develop his – he's very developed – um, he's got juice, got raw horsepower, um, and he's a great competitor. You know, the, the baseball, the dual sport thing has made him a great competitor. He, he's a really good leader, uh, engages with all different kinds of kids well, um, doesn't get too high or too low. You know, just some of the traits you're looking for, um, they pop out when you look at Robbie. Um, you know, he's a, he's a kid that, <coughs> excuse me, um, I'd put in that high ceiling category. Um, because his athletic index is so high, um, he'll have the frame to sustain kind of the the beating he'll take in the SEC, yeah. which every quarterback does. Um, and then he's just again that juice. He's just got that juice that not a lot of people have. Um, I think he's still navigating this dual sport thing. You know, learning how to find balance between being a great baseball player and a great football player and and that is a challenge. I mean, 
you know, Kyler's the biggest one that jumps out, but Jameis Winston had the same thing. There's other guys that, that have this, and it takes them a while before they kind of figure out that balance because, you know, while, while um, Robbie's out playing baseball and dominating baseball, all the other kids are working on their quarterback skill development. So Robbie might be a little bit behind there, but it's nothing that alarms you because, you know, once he starts um, putting more of an investment into football in that training um, and he, as he gets older and more mature and, and kind of simplifies things in his mind, um, the football stuff will, will um, get polished really quick. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Kyler and Jameis, you know, two guys who are in the NFL now, um, both played baseball while they were in college. I know Robbie's been adamant that he's going to play both. Um, how do you, is that something that if, if a kid came to you at Elite 11 and said, hey, like, I, I play basketball and football, I play baseball and football, do you, you encourage that? Oh, yeah. I, I encourage big time. I'm a big dual sport uh, athlete proponent, um, multiple sport. Yeah. Um, I, I think it does it does a couple of things. Um, number one, it just allows you to have balance in your life where you're not all in on one thing all the time and it almost becomes your God. Uh, I think there's just, it's, there's just a healthy, um, there's this, how do I say it? When kids aren't, when one sport isn't their God and they have other interests that they're equally invested into, they tend to have more life balance. They just have more better perspective. Right. Okay. Um, so most of the dual sport athletes that we get to know through the process uh, tend to have better perspective on competing, on life, on relationships, on everything. Because mm-hmm. um, one thing isn't so big. Right. Um, I think the other thing it does is it teaches you how to be a different type of teammate. Um, now, Robbie's a little bit of an exception here because he's the best in both. Um, but in general, dual sport athletes, you're not going to be the best quarterback and also be the best baseball player. So a lot of them are maybe the fourth, fifth, sixth best baseball player. So you get to be or the sixth guy off the bench in basketball. So you learn how to be a different type of teammate, a different type of leader. Um, I think the other thing it does too is it, it helps you athletically develop because it's different movement planes. You know, you're not just doing the same movements all the time. You have to lift a little different. You have to train a little different. Um, your other sport naturally makes you move a little different. Um, so there's some athletic development uh, benefits to it as well. And then the baseball football thing for quarterbacks is interesting because the baseball game is so slow. You know, in general, there's a lot of time to think. Mm-hmm. And in football, it's very fast, especially with modern-day offenses. So now you're training the mind to process slowly in a baseball environment and then quickly in a football environment. I think that's good uh, mental development as well. So um, huge fan. I think you can make up the, the micro skill development stuff as you go along. Mm-hmm. Um, you might need to work harder than the next guy. You know, you might have to sleep less than the next guy. You might have to have less social time than the next guy. But those are the sacrifices you're making. And and uh, the ones that we know uh, don't regret the sacrifices they made to be good in both. So when the Elite 11 this year was going on, um, because of the last time that Ole Miss commit was there, uh, pretty good success. Shea Patterson won the MVP. Uh, I know there was some a little bit, some grumblings. Uh, Robbie. I don't think ever cracked the top 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, not doubting the ranking system here. No, right? that's fine. But uh, we always like to use the, the, I guess, the metaphor of the his best football is ahead of him yeah. type saying. Um, would you would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. I think Robbie, of all the quarterbacks this summer, 
um, probably had the, the least amount of just that quarterback training, that quarterback development. So there's, if you want to use the word raw, even though he's not raw, um, there's definitely those inconsistencies. Now, again, that's why I use the term high ceiling. His ceiling's as high as anybody's. Uh, and you could see that in the Elite 11 process, that uh, his good's as good as anybody. Um, there's just a consistency thing, and that's just because he hasn't done it as much. And, you know, we look at the Elite 11, and this year the kids chose the 11, by the way, so it wasn't the coaches, it was their peers. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> But uh, we, we even in years past, and we as a staff have, have chosen them, we still look at the 24 that made it to the finals as kind of the group, you know. And then we weighed it, you know, on their physical traits and production and then how they go through the process and then how they do the finals. But at the end of the day, we're looking at 24 and say, okay, these are the 24 we think have a really um, good chance of moving forward and, and dominating the next level. and and having, this, having the traits that could give them a chance to play in the NFL. So uh, I have never gotten caught up in who won the MVP and who the 11 were. I always kind of take the most pride in the selection of the 24, mm -hmm. the guys that make it to the finals and, and uh, that we get to spend the time with. Because that's really, to me, that's the great takeaway is being able to spend those seven-plus days with uh, those 24 kids and getting to know them as people but also as players and then and those relationships that have carried on for years. So we talked about, you know, bearing the lead a little here with the we, we talked about the future, we're gonna talk <laughs> about the uh, the present here. So uh, you worked with Matt Corral when he was there. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people are big fans of Matt. Um, I, I remember hearing an interview with, uh, with Yogi and, and Joey and the rest of the guys on staff comparing him to um, you know, guys like Matthew Stafford, mm -hmm. Chad Kelly, most recently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how how do you? I don't know if you've seen any of his first two games at Ole Miss. Um, I guess what what do you think is is ahead for him and, and the Ole Miss program? Yeah, I think with Matt again is a guy with it's an incredible competitor. Like he's gonna fight you to the death in every single game. He's you're all, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna compete as hard as anybody. Um, he's a playmaker. You know, he's a guy that likes to play with his hair on fire. Um, he's not. He's going to be more the butcher, less the surgeon. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you just have to know who he is. Uh, he's got immense arm talent. He had it when he was 16 years old. I mean, he can rip it all over the yard. Um, and he's going to try to. And I think that's the thing you got to appreciate about him is he's he's always going to try to make the big play. That has to be tempered. You know, there there needs to be some discernment that enters into his game, and um, that's for the coaches to kind of do that gently because you don't want to take the playmaking ability out of him. Um, but he's going to be a guy that's, you know, the same thing that makes you laugh, makes you cry. So he'll do something with his arm and with his athleticism there. Everybody goes, yeah, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then eight plays are going to be like, oh, no, why did you try to do that? Yeah. Um, but that's also um, part of his youth. And I think as he plays more and gets more experiences and, and better understands the value of protecting the ball, uh, he'll still be able to make a lot of plays, but also take less chances. So um, it, there'll be a growing process there. But boy, I'd be excited to have him as my quarterback. He's a kid that, like I said, he's gonna there's gonna be a lot of fireworks, and he's gonna win a lot of games. And and again, he's gonna be the right kind of kid uh, in the locker room and with his teammates. And um, he's gonna represent you well. Yeah, I know that was something that surprised a lot of people, but I think people around the, the Ole Miss program weren't surprised when he was selected to go to media days as a redshirt freshman. 
Uh, you, you mentioned the, the what will make you laugh, make you cry. Uh, I just thought of this, uh, going off my notes here. Um, Ole Miss had Bo Wallace mm -hmm. a couple years ago. Yeah. Good quarterback. Um, there was a thing that people would do. They would do the good Bo, bad Bo. And, <laughs> and I don't know. You might want to bring that back. Yeah, so I don't know if I've ever heard that. I don't know if anybody said, like, good Tua, bad Tua, or good Kyler, bad Kyler. Yeah. Kyler. Do, you, do you think that that's fair to do uh, to quarterbacks that are aggressive and try to make plays? You know, I, I think – Did anyone ever say good Trent, bad Trent? Oh, I'm sure. And then I felt there was a lot of bad Trent. Um, I think when you're, when you're looking at young quarterbacks that have a lot of talent, the, the danger is telling them that trying to make a play is bad because you – you want them, I always said it this way, you want to have the brass of a burglar and the discretion of a doctor. So as you're going to line of scrimmage, you want to have the brass of a burglar. You want to, have, you don't want to be an assassin's mentality. You know, I'm going to get after this. I'm going to make a play. I'm going to make a play. And then once the ball's snapped, you need to then be able to exhale and say, okay, what's the defense giving me? And there's that yin and yang that's always going on between these playmaking type quarterbacks that find that balance. Now, what you don't want is for a quarterback to go line of scrimmage and say, I can't make a mistake, I can't make a mistake, I can't make a mistake. And if we start putting them in good buckets, bad buckets, then that quarterback's going to be like, well, I don't want to be in the bad bucket, so I'm naturally going to be less aggressive with how I play the game. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess the long-winded answer is it's up to the coaching staff to affirm kind of that aggressive playmaking mentality and gently spoon feed the other stuff over time. And then how you call plays is a big part of it. Um, the play caller has a lot to do with minimizing damage. If you know your guy's hyper aggressive, well, then you make sure you only allow him to be hyper aggressive with the play calling in certain situations. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to pull the reins back, you're not telling him, hey, be more conservative. You're giving him more conservative calls. So without him knowing that the reins are being pulled on him, you're actually pulling the reins back and saying, whoa, 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 let's slow down to a trot now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest criticism I have of, of coaches – that have aggressive quarterbacks, it's partly their fault too with what plays they're calling. Like yeah. if you're a really good play caller, then you understand the temperament of your quarterback, you understand his DNA, and you can control it from the sideline and don't ever have to tell him, hey buddy, be more careful. Because as soon as a quarterback hears don't and can't and be more careful, they're naturally, because most of them are people pleasers, are gonna pull back the reins on themselves and they're not gonna be, um, they're not going to play to the fullest of their potential. So as we kind of wrap up here, a couple things. Um, now I know you're obviously busy during the week and, <laughs> and a little busy on Friday I've never nights. been busier. Yeah. Um, so Rich Rodriguez, the new offensive coordinator yeah. at Ole Miss, struggled in week one. Week two, got back on track, beat Arkansas pretty handily. Um, are you familiar at all with Rich Rod? Or? Yeah, yeah, I studied Rich Rod over the years, West Virginia, Arizona. Um, you know, he was one of the first true spread guys. And, you know, a lot of what you're seeing in college football right now, um, he was one of the innovators of it. So, um, yeah, if, if you study offense, if you study um, kind of the growth of the game, 
Um, Rich is kind of at the center of that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of how he coaches football. I, I think he uh, he's an aggressive guy. Um, he likes to take chances. He's an innovative guy. And I think given time, and that's one thing, um, these guys sometimes aren't given enough time, but you, you give him enough time to implement a system and um, have the right pieces in place, recruit towards his system, and, and I think you're going to have a lot of success offensively. So I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask or bring it up at all. Um, do you have any personal favorite Dilfer Dimes for yourself? And then uh, Oh, mine? Like that I threw? Yeah. Um, it's got your name in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the dimes thing's just an interesting phenomenon. I started using it years ago. Obviously, I stole it from basketball, and I was laughed at by Sean Hill and Alex Smith when I first started using it, and by Matt Hassel back in Seattle, and and then now everybody uses it. But uh, to do that show was fun, and I, you know, it was it was a way of celebrating quarterbacks. Really, was the key to it. If you ask about my favorite throws, um, I mean, obviously the touchdown of Brandon Stokely in the Super Bowl would go down as my all-time dime. Um, I threw one in Fresno to beat San Marshall Falk in San Diego State at the end of a game. I threw kind of a back shoulder fade in the in the corner of Jack Murphy Stadium that, for whatever reason, it's one of my most memorable touchdown passes. Um, I tend to remember the interceptions more than the touchdown passes, <laughs> unfortunately, maybe because there's more of them than touchdowns. But, uh, yeah, if you had to, my top two, it would be the one to beat San Diego State my uh, sophomore year and then the touchdown in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, shout out to the Valley. I love the yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess uh, last thing, I mean, it, I don't know how much college football you get to watch, but, I mean, for Ole Miss the rest of the season – uh, big rebuilding year. I don't think mm-hmm. there's any hiding that. But um, I guess expectations for for Corral and, and Ole Miss. I mean, I don't know if you got to see any of the Arkansas game, but what do you think? Well, I, I think anytime you're in a rebuild mode, and um, you don't, you're not. It's a balance because you don't want your your fan base and your team, your you know your culture to think, oh, it's okay to lose. So you want to create a winning process, mm-hmm. and I think that's the biggest thing is. Um, everything that you do is with your eye on winning an SEC title. So your process is about being champions. And by doing that, you're naturally going to raise the expectations of everybody, and, and you're going to p- keep people uncomfortable, and, and that's part of the magic is, is keeping people uncomfortable so they're always pushing for more. Um, but then you need to celebrate the, the victories you have that aren't necessarily game victories. So you have to celebrate development. You have to celebrate – um, portions of games against really good opponents where you may control the game. Um, you, you may need to celebrate great weeks of practice, championship-type weeks of practice. You want to celebrate an end-a-half drive. Uh, so you got to celebrate the moments that look like championship football because you're not going to win a championship this year. And at the end of the year, you may lose more than you win, but the feeling in the building – and at the university has to be, oh, okay, you can see it, though. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see that we're doing things at a championship level. And as we bring in better players and as we get more familiar with the system and people um, understand the expectations better, then we're going to – then we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So what you can't have happen in a quote-unquote rebuilding year is use as an excuse for mediocrity. 
uh, every day there has to be an expectation of winning the championship that day. And you stack enough of those up over time, and then maybe it comes to fruition at some point. All right, well, I think we got plenty right there. That was, uh, that was great. <laughs> uh, so, so thanks to, to Trent Dilfer and uh, the good people here at Lipscomb Academy. Um, that's uh, head coach of the Mustangs here and uh, Super Bowl champion quarterback. Um, but that's going to do it here for this edition of the Soft Verbal Podcast here in the Clark Ford Studio and presented by Dead Soxie. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, we out.